Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Radio. So what's going on with you? How is everybody doing? A tremendous Tuesday to you. My name is Jim Rome, and like the man said... I am live. I'm in Southern California. I'm in the Quicken Loan Studios. Quicken Loan supplies simply. Understand fully and mortgage confidently. Or I know exactly where I want to go with this. How about you? What do you want to do? Do you want to get involved? Do you want to call the program? Do you want to tweet at me? Do you want to email me? Do you want to be more passive about it? Do you want to lay out? Do you want me to do all the heavy lifting? Totally up to you. I've got this thing taken care of from my end. Just ask yourself what you can do to make the show better. Or, by the way, do nothing at all. Just lay out and I'll take care of the rest. Telephone number is toll free, 1-800-636-8686. We've got three interviews today. I've got one coming up later on this hour. I've got the driver of the 10 car, Eric Almarola. That's coming up at 940 Pacific time. Second hour is open. No interviews there. And in the third hour, we're going to go back to back. We do that sometimes. Utah State head football coach Matt Wells in the third hour. Also in hour number three, Marcus McMarion, Fresno State quarterback, and both of them are coming up on the back end of the program. So if you want to hit last night's game, start dialing right now. If you want to talk about Le'Veon Bell and whether or not he's coming in, start dialing right now. If you want to talk about my man Trevor Price and whether or not he extended that streak or not, start dialing right now. I want to start things off with a monster Dallas Cowboy block. And again, 1-800-636-8686. So final score from Monday Night Football. Tennessee something, Dallas something less than that. Normally, I would give you the final score, but I'm not sure the Cowboys even care at this point. And yes, I know exactly what I'm saying. Saying that a player or a team doesn't care, saying that a player or a team doesn't give a damn is about the worst thing you can say about a player or a team. But it's pretty hard to argue that they do when they're allowing this to happen. I formation for the Cowboys. Prescott, play fake, looking to throw, floats it into the end zone, and it's intercepted! Fired! Fired picks her off! A takeaway for the Titans! And he runs to the star to take a bow! That's My so- goodness, they had to have it, and the All-Pro has it! Titans radio on that call, and that was Titans safety, Kevin Byard, picking off Dak Prescott. Prescott with a terrible decision. He gets him in the back of the end zone. He celebrates that pick by running it out to the star at midfield, and he goes T.O. 49er celebration on it. Except unlike T.O., nothing happened. Nobody gave him the George Teague treatment. Nobody obliterated him and sent a message. It was only a change of possession. Nobody did jack. Even Bayard was shocked that nobody did jack. So, I, I mean, I just ran up to the star just to celebrate. I was actually expecting somebody to, to kind of knock my head off. But uh, then we just started dancing. I was like, if we, if we get to the 50, we get another guys in the 50, we're just going to start dancing in the star. If we can get to the 50, we're just going to start dancing on the star because nobody did anything. Nobody did jack, and pretty much nobody with a star on the side of their helmet bothered to show up last night, which begs the question. How the hell do you no-show? Coming off a bye week in prime time in a game you have to have against a sub-500 team that came in reeling. I mean, I don't ever remember being less impressed with the Cowboys than I was watching what I saw last night. Watching that laydown last night. Tennessee walked into their house, punched them in the face, sat down, and then made it their house. And the Cowboy players have to own that. Except not nearly as much as the head coach and the owner have to own that. Man, do you remember a time when Jerry Jones seemed like the most competitive owner anywhere? That he was going to do whatever it took to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, fast forward to right now. I'm not even sure Jerry Jones thinks about the Super Bowl. Except to wonder about when he's going to host it next. Because he sure as hell does not seem to have any interest in winning one. What makes me say that? Look at his head coach, Jason Calvin Garrett. You get off to a 3-5 and five start in your eighth full season, and I think it's pretty reasonable to question how much pressure Jason Garrett's under. I mean, the guy's only been to the playoff twice. He's only been in two playoff games, and he lost both of them as coach of the Cowboys. And this is supposed to be a team that values winning above everything else. So, 
That being his record, he's got to be in the owner's crosshairs, right? There's no way a guy's competitive as Jera is going to tolerate that type of mediocrity, right? Not on his watch. And an embarrassment last night and a season that may already be slipping away, that means Jera is going to step in and stop the hemorrhaging, right? He needs to run his coach before they bleed out and die in front of all of us, right? <laughs> Wrong. Jones says no. And speaking for Jones, I say hell no. Never mind what he should do. I'm going to tell you what Jarrett is going to do. Not a damn thing. He's stuck with Jason Garrett this long. You really think this guy's going to make a move right now? No chance. And I'm never looking to take food off another guy's table or cost somebody their job. But do you really think that Jerry's even considered firing Garrett? No way. The only time he has ever fired a coach midseason was when he canned Wade Phillips for, wait for it, Jason Garrett. So unless Jerry Jones can somehow find a way to fire Jason Garrett and replace him with Jason Garrett, there's no way he's going to make a change. He also told the media after that game, check this quote, I very candidly didn't see this coming. I thought we would be sitting here with a positive result. This is a surprise to me, and it's a setback. Now when you're halfway through the season, losing a ball game in the NFL, if that causes you to be deterred or not to think that there's a future ahead of you, then you pick the wrong world to operate in. That's not the life we've chosen, end quote. Let me tell you something, Jerry. If you didn't see this coming, you're the only one. And if you didn't watch any of the games before this, then maybe you didn't see it coming. But this is exactly who this team is. This is exactly the life that you have chosen. I mean, I know you went out and you overpaid for Mari Cooper. And you thought that might jumpstart the offense. And I'm guessing for a moment in the first quarter, you felt pretty smart, didn't you, Jarrah? Second and goal back at the four. Prescott's in an empty gun again. Back to throw. Looks for a fade. Left side. Ball is caught. Diving to the pylon. Touchdown! Amari Cooper! Welcome to Texas, young man. Jarrah had to be thinking, damn, I'm smart. Except for one thing. Cooper ended that game with five catches, 58 yards. The team ended that game with 14 points, none in the second half. Not exactly an offensive explosion. Jason Garrett's got one win in the postseason. One. I'll give him that. Except they're 3-5 and five this year. And they're on their way to yet another losing season. But it's not just a losing season. Those are not unusual in Dallas. It's a lost season and a lost franchise. I mean, was it really only two years ago that they went 13-3 and and had two of the most exciting rookies in the league in Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott? Because that is one hell of a boring team right now. And they still have Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. Or at least they've got two guys who are wearing their jerseys. Because Prescott right now looks like a shell of himself. He looks like anything but a franchise quarterback at this point. He looks like just a guy. Just a guy who can't take care of the football. And he had two more crushing turnovers that the Titans turned into 14 points last night. The Cowboys simply are not good enough to overcome those types of mistakes. And at this point, Dak isn't good enough to stop making those mistakes. So I'm looking at the Cowboys, and I see a ton of problems. But the biggest might be the fact that Prescott has regressed in a major way. He went from being a surefire franchise quarterback to a turnover machine who sometimes does not even look like an NFL starter. And if there was ever a reason to dump Garrett, it's that right there. Because now they're getting closer to the end of Prescott's rookie deal, and they still don't know what they have in him. Is he a franchise quarterback, or do they need to go find another one? Do you pay him, or do you dump him? Man, if only they had a head coach who was a former quarterback, an alleged offensive guru as well, who could help develop their young QB. Oh, wait, they do. But it's not happening. Hey, look, if I wanted a head coach to mentor a guy on how to clap, Jason Garrett's the man. Nobody has a crisper, sharper, clapping game in the NFL than Jason Garrett. Man, and don't sleep on his gum chewing. That clapping is so good that you could easily forget about my man's ability to chew gum. But my dude can get after a stick of juicy fruit like nobody's business. When it comes to clapping and chewing, he's a Hall of Famer. 
But when it comes to developing a quarterback and leading an offense, that's not really his thing. In fact, I'm not sure that coaching is really his, really his thing. I'm not sure leading is really his thing. I'm not sure winning is much his thing. But that's just as much about the guy who put him in that spot and just left him there as the guy himself. At this point, does Jerry really even care if he wins or loses? Because either way, he's making bank. So even when he loses, he wins. And if he really did care, he would have done something about Garrett already. And since he hasn't, it's fair to wonder if he ever will. Tuesday's Daily Jungle is brought to you by Ferguson. Listen to this. No matter how big or small your team is, Ferguson has a winning game plan for pro contractors with thousands of plumbing repair parts, knowledgeable associates, and the largest national footprint in the game. When the pressure is on, you can count on Ferguson. Cowboy fans, reaction! I mean, if Jerry doesn't really care, why would I? Somebody finally got around to asking Jerry about his patience level. Where is your patience level right now with this team? Where what do you mean? By that. How patient can you be with I, 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 I really don't know without being tried. I don't know how to uh, articulate my patience or lack thereof. And, and I don't. I'm not trying to be smart. I just uh, don't have an assessment of my patience right now. What do you mean? It's such a great response. Hey, what's your patience level there, uh, Jerry? What do you mean? Hey, Jerry, how do you feel about your team's performance last night? What do you mean? What do you mean? Hey, Jerry, Dak, he looked like a franchise quarterback not long ago. Like you had yourself another Tony Romo. You had yourself another franchise QB. He seems to have regressed terribly. Why is that? What do you mean? Hey, Jerry, what do you make of Dak trying to force it in there, only to have Kevin Byard pick it in the back of the end zone and then run that thing back out to the star and celebrate a la T.O.? How'd that make you feel, Jerry? What do you mean? Jerry, you're 3-5. and five. You had a bye week. You came off a bye week. Your team no-showed. Exactly where does that leave you right now? What do you mean? Hey, Jerry, how you feeling? What do you mean? Jerry, 1 plus 1 equals what? What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? 1-800-636-8686. It's a bad showing. It's a really, really bad showing. In prime time... In the house that Jarrah built, coming off a bye week, in a game they had to have, in a division that's wide-ass open. It's a really bad showing. Do not get this twisted. I'm saying I haven't seen them look that bad in a long time. If I can do an entire block on that one game. Nate Appleton tweets, quote, The Cowboys are a disaster. The team looks like it's completely given up on its coach. Not even trading Amari provided a spark to them. What a joke. Signed John Gruden. Hey, Nate, what do you mean? Rebel tweets. Jim, we are champions of life. Signed Jason Garrett. Can I just go back to that one point before I go to break? In Dak Prescott, you had a great young quarterback. You had an MVP candidate. You had your franchise quarterback. These guys regressed terribly. How is that possible? You've got a guy who's an alleged quarterback whisperer. You've got a guy who's known for his offensive prowess. You've got a guy who's supposed to be, among other things, very good at developing a young quarterback. That, as much as anything, speaks to Garrett and how ineffective he is. And again, I'm not looking to take food off anybody's table, including his. But how is that guy still working there in that capacity? Phil in Missouri tweets, dancing on the star. The Titans may as well be walking on the sun. Sign Smash Mouth. It's a good point, Phil. What do you mean? (laughs) This email is directed to Game of Rome's. After lengthy deliberations, I'm finally going to admit I agree with Jeremy from Scani. That pile of garbage disguised in silver and royal blue uniforms, are indeed the Dallas Clown Boys. Signed, Jim and Canton. Unwar Clowny Taggart and his turnover bag pack. Ouch. And finally, Lady Clone, Lady Clone is in. Romy, 
I'm directionally challenged, but I know Jason Garrett is the wrong way to go. Signed, Mike McCarthy. Nikki. If I were one of those guys and I want to put up a poll on Twitter to try to drive you to Twitter, I put up a poll. Who's going to get fired first, Jason Garrett or Mike McCarthy? What do you mean? What do you mean? I'm going to say both these guys are on very thin ice right now. Eric Almarola is my guest. Eric, great to have you on the show. How are you? Hey, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. Thanks for doing it. So it's Tuesday of the week of the second-to-last race of the season. Knowing everything that's riding on this race, are you able to treat this like any other week in the season, or does it feel like there's a little more juice and a little more energy surrounding this race? Uh, there's definitely more juice, man. This is uh, This is like Game 7. Um, you know, of a seven game series and it's just, it's a must win. You know, we've got to go, we've got to pay attention to every little detail. Um, and, and you know, every single thing matters and we got to do whatever it takes to go win. All right. So I mentioned it's the second time in your career you've been in the playoffs. How different does it feel this time as compared to the first time? Well, I just feel like this time, um, you know, we've got the cars and the speed in the cars and, and, you know, our team is, is, ready I, I feel like we're ready to go and and run for a championship and um we've got to uh we've got to win phoenix first and then we can go to homestead and, and and race for a championship but i feel like we're capable um the last time we were in the playoffs it was kind of like one of those deals where you make the playoffs and you're just kind of happy to be there um and and you know we just weren't really ever a threat or a contender but uh, this year with Stuart Haas Racing and, and Smithfield um, as our sponsor and just everything coming together, uh, we've got all the tools, all the resources, and we've got an incredible team. And we're, we're, we're not just happy to be here. We're, we're contenders, and, uh, and we want to go race for a championship. Eric Almirola is my guest, and you've got that opportunity coming up. Let me get you to go back to Sunday in Texas. You were running in the top five when Joey Logano appeared to make a move down toward you. What did you see him doing, and then what was your reaction to it? <laughs> yeah, I stirred up some controversy there, didn't I? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, so, um, we were just racing hard and, and I had battled, uh, I had battled all day and got up to third and was in a really good position to, uh, to, to, you know, capitalize on if there was an opportunity, um, you know, with the, the first two cars, we were going to be in a good, good position to capitalize on that and maybe have a shot at winning the race. And, um, the, the track at Texas was, uh, recently repaved and, we're going 200 miles an hour and the the groove that you have to kind of keep your car in is very narrow there if if you get out of that groove um with the new pavement the the track is very slick almost like ice and um you wreck so we went down into turn 3 and and his car was wheel to wheel with mine um and if he was 4 feet one way or the other um you know it, it would have not been a non-issue, but we we were exactly wheel to wheel. And when that happens with our race cars, it just affects the aerodynamics on the car so much um, that the car inside is extreme. And you just don't have any control of your car. Your car goes really loose and sideways, and, and it's it's really hard to manage your car. So I was just frustrated and, and, and uh, disappointed um, that given Joey's situation that he didn't cut me a break. Um, you know, I, I, I guess that was wrong of me to expect him to, to cut me a break, but, um, I feel like if the roles were, were reversed, um, he would have expected the same out of me. So, um, I guess, you know, more, more than anything, I was just, I'm a competitor and things didn't work out the way, you know, I wanted them to. So when I got a camera and a microphone stuck in my face after the race, I, I, I spoke my mind. Eric Almarola joining us. I really respect that response right there, and I, I can understand why you were hot. I think a lot of people can understand why you were hot. So how do you reconcile that? For instance, was that heat-of-the-moment stuff, and that was racing hard, and that'll happen, or is that something you file away? Is that something you're going to remember because you crossed the line? <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think, I think it's yes. I think the answer is yes to all of that. Mm. Um, you know, I think as, as, uh, as racers, we, you know, what happens in the heat of the moment, uh, you know, certainly is is usually a lot more escalated than than you know 
Tuesday or Wednesday when you have time to kind of look back on it and, and reflect and, and, and then move on. And really at this point, I, I'm, I'm trying to move on. Like, I don't, I don't really care about Texas anymore. We went, we raced, we didn't win. Um, I'm, I'm pissed. We didn't win. So now all of our focus is shifted to Phoenix. We, you know, now we've got to go just be on kill mode going to Phoenix and, and we've got to go there and we've got to win. We've got to bring our A game and, and, and let it all hang out and go do whatever it takes to win at Phoenix. And, um, you know, then, then we'll worry about Homestead when we get to Homestead. Phoenix is Sunday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC. It's the Can-Am 500. Eric Almirola is the driver of the number 10. You know, Eric, you're having a huge year, and when you consider what you've been through, it's nothing short of remarkable. I say that because last year in the spring race at Kansas, you suffered a horrible accident, and you broke your back. Now, you've been in a lot of wrecks before as part of being a driver, but in an interview sometime after that crash, you told Jeff Gordon that after that, when you dropped your window net and you couldn't even get out of the car by yourself, I mean, that's a terrifying moment. What was it like to go through that yeah that was uh that was that was big man that was uh that was a bad day for me and and you know wrecking a race car at 200 miles an hour usually hurts um you know no no matter how you do it um it usually hurts but that day was was very different um you know i, I wrecked at kansas there and when the car went up in the air and came back down uh, I got a compression fracture in, in the T5 vertebrae in my spine. So, yeah, I, I broke my back, and I had to sit out for two months out of the race car, and that, for me, was more painful than, than the actual broken back. Um, you know, I, I I realized at that very moment um, that I loved what I did as, you know, being a race car driver and that it being taken away from me in the blink of an eye um, you know, was, was hard for me to, to deal with. So I worked my butt off to do all the rehab stuff that my doctors advised me to do. Um, you know, if they told me to do 10 reps of something twice a day, I did, I did 15 reps, you know, four times a day. I, I, I did everything I could possibly do to speed up my recovery. Um, you know, I, I bought every, widget and gadget that was laser treatment and game ready stuff and whatever it was that that said it would help speed up the healing uh that's what i did to make sure that i could get back in a race car but that was a scary moment there for a little while i wasn't sure if i'd ever drive a race car again and then to, to be able to battle back from that um and kind of you know get uh get back in a race car and then have some success again and then switch, you know, switch teams and go to Stuart Haas Racing to where now I have, you know, the best equipment in the garage. Um, it's it's been it's been one heck of a year, and uh, you know I'm, I'm proud of what we've accomplished so far. But we've got two more races that we want to go win, and no matter what happens, it's been a it's been a great year and a successful year. But um, you know, as a competitor. Uh, you can see you can see that big prize right in front of you, and you just want to go get it. You know, it seems to me to see the way you've come back from what you've come back from, it speaks to your mental toughness, it speaks to your physical toughness, but then you've got to get back in the car and do the work. Over the course of the season, you came back and you've had a number of looks at a win, but for a while you didn't break through, and you said that coming that close but not breaking through made you take a long, hard look at yourself in the mirror. What was that experience like, and what was your takeaway? Well, yeah, I think, I think uh any time uh that you know things things don't go your way uh you basically have two choices you can you can make excuses and you can blame other people or you can look at yourself and see how you contribute and how you um have an effect on the outcome and and so for me you know going through the year and and having fast race cars and being you know being capable of winning five or six races this year and for whatever reason, it not happened, you know, I, I, I started to, to, you know, do some soul searching, man, and, and look in, look in the mirror and, and say, you know, what, what's going on? What, what am I not doing? How am I not contributing? How am I not being a good team leader? How am I not motivating my guys? How am I not executing when I need to, um, all of those things, um, you know, and, and finally, um, you know, persistence and, and patience finally paid off and, and we were able to have a huge uh, clutch victory at Talladega 
that propelled us into this uh, this round of the playoffs, where it's the last round, um, you know, going into the championship four at Homestead. So that's uh, that that was timely and, uh, and and a very big win. But yeah, you're right. We've had we've had probably five or six times this year um, that we've been close, but no cigar. He is the driver of the number 10 car for Stuart Haas Racing. The win, three top fives, 15 top tens, reached the NASCAR playoffs for the second time in his career, and again, would clinch a spot in the championship four with a win on Sunday, the Can-Am 500 Phoenix, Sunday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC. Eric, great job. Really nice to have you on the show. Thanks so much for doing that. That's a really good interview. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate you guys. If you're looking for a place to check out sports betting, you have to check out my bookie. You know, ever since I started doing this podcast, people have been asking me over and over again for advice. Normally, they want to know who to bet. Who do you bet this week? Listen, the truth is, I don't know, right? I can give you an educated take, but I don't know for certain. Now, I know a lot of you think you do know. I know a lot of you know you know. If that's the case, you need to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. This is why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, they are the very best bet this season. They have been in business for years, they have great reviews online, and their mobile site is so easy to use. I would only recommend a service to you that I've been using myself. This is why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Join right now, and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code Rome and activate that offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E. Do not forget to use the promo code Rome when creating your account, and you can claim up to one thousand in free play. You play, you win, you get paid with my bookie. You know something that we have not talked about nearly enough? Le'Veon Bell. And if you thought the Le'Veon rumor and conjecture machine had broken, you could not be more wrong. It was only refueling. It got all the juice it needed yesterday thanks to a single tweet. At noon yesterday, Le'Veon, Le'Veon tweeted, quote, Farewell Miami with a hand wave emoji. Immediately, everybody rushed to Twitter and their keyboards to start to break it down, to try to interpret what that meant. What does it mean? It must mean he's taking his talents from South Beach to Pittsburgh, right? Maybe he'll even get there in time for the Thursday night showdown with Carolina. Well, according to Adam Schefter and Jeremy Fowler, the Steelers are not expecting Le'Veon by Thursday. So, sorry to get everybody's hopes up. Sorry to make you think that we might just be 48 hours hours away from this thing finally being over. But wait, there is another deadline. There is always another deadline. This one is next Tuesday. And that's the deadline for him to report if he's going to play at all this season. If he's not with the team by Tuesday, he cannot play in 2018. So, that means he's got to show up by then, right? Finally. We have that absolute hard and fast deadline where we know that he's finally going to show up and this thing's finally going to be over, right? Finally. Not exactly. Because now there seems to be a sense around the league that he may not play at all this year. And this is where it gets juicy. This is where we start to talk about the good stuff. Franchise tags. Transition tags. Compensatory picks. How fired up are you to hear all that? And if you love compensatory pick talk, how about some restricted free agency chatter? Maybe a little bit of unrestricted free agency chatter. Hey, man, don't get me started. Do not get me started on prorated contracts. I've always said when it comes to the games are cool, but the real action is never on the field. It's in the boardroom. It's in the fax machines that are sending deals back and forth. You know what's more exciting than Le'Veon Bell breaking a tackle and taking it to the house? The possibility of a transition tag and what that means for free agency. I mean, sure, they're 5-2-1. They've won four straight. That's cool. That's great. But not nearly as cool 
is the possibility of Pittsburgh having to match an inflated contract offer to Bell by some other team next year. That's where it's at. That's what's the good stuff, right? Here's the deal. Here is the deal. Next Tuesday is our only hope. I know there have been lots of deadlines along the way. Plenty of days where Bell was supposed to report. Where he had to report or he'd lose something. But he still hasn't reported. He treated supposed deadlines like would-be tacklers. So I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want all of us to get our hopes up. But next Tuesday might be our last and best hope for some resolution here. Either he shows up or he doesn't. He either plays this year or he doesn't. Let's face it. It's not like the Steelers are struggling without this guy. James Conner is a beast. I'm not saying he's better than Bell. I'm saying he's putting up huge numbers, Bell-like numbers, and he's doing it without any drama at all. So do the Steelers even want Bell back right now? I would never say you turn a guy away with that kind of talent, but they're not hurting at the running back position without Bell. They've got no idea what kind of football shape he would be in or how the locker room is going to treat him if and when he does return. To say nothing of what they would do with the offense if they had two backs who both needed carries. I mean, again, every offensive coordinator should have that problem. Every offensive coordinator should be so burdened as to have to decide who to give the ball to. Le'Veon Bell or James Conner. But it could very well be a challenge, and it could break the flow of that team just as it's finding its stride. So what is Bell going to do? Here is the simplest answer. Who knows? I mean, barring a recorded interview where the guy says something for the record, pretty much anything that anybody says is simply conjecture and hearsay. Everything that everybody ever expected this guy to do, he has not done. Throughout the entire tedious process, exactly nothing has gone to plan. From not reporting at the end of camp, to some teammates taking a run at him in the media, to now staring down the possibility of this guy skipping the entire season. This has played out in a way that nobody expected, including Bell. I doubt that Bell expected Connor to go off the way he has. So, what happens this week? What happens next Tuesday? I don't know. I just want the thing to end. Le'Veon, if you're listening... I really don't care what you do. Just do something and end this. Put all of us out of our collective misery because we're sick of talking about it. We're sick of wondering what the hell you're going to do. We're sick of it all. Just do something, anything. At this point, I don't care. Just end it. Put us out of our misery. We are joined by Utah State head coach Matt Wells. Matt, really nice to have you on. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Jim? Thanks for having me on. Great to have you, Matt. All right, so you're coming off that win, a good road win over Hawaii, which is always kind of tricky to go there because there's so many distractions. But you guys put up more than 600 total yards, including 426 on the ground. It's a team that's put up some monstrous offensive numbers, but where does that rushing performance rank among all the games that you've coached? Because that was really impressive. I think we uh, we ran the ball really well. You know, those guys, those two running backs that combined for that, Darwin Thompson and Gerald Bright, they didn't even play the fourth quarter. Um, I think we maybe pulled them about midway through the third quarter, actually, Jim. Um, so if you just take it in terms of that, it may be, if not the best, uh, one of the best, because I also you know, take into consideration going over to Hawaii. It's hard to win at Hawaii, like you mentioned, with all the distractions. So, proud of those guys and certainly uh our offensive line uh is playing really well and um you can't run for that amount of yards if you don't get great blocks out on the perimeter probably our best game that our wideouts have played on the perimeter Matt Wells is joining us Matt I know you're focused on San Jose State you've got that one coming up but I'm looking at a program that's now up to number 14 in the AP poll what's that ranking mean to you and to the program you know, Jim, it's uh, it's kind of interesting just the last couple of weeks because I've tried to downplay it a little bit, and our players have done a tremendous job of, of you know, being aware of it. I mean, we're, we don't live in, um, you know, with the door shut here in Logan, Utah. I mean, everybody knows it. But the preparation that they've come out with each and every week, and there's a bunch of football junkies. They're in here watching extra tape, all that kind of stuff, and preparing because they know the short-term goal this week is San Jose. But I also understand it means a lot to, you know, the Aggie Brotherhood. A lot of people that played here uh, came before us, uh, the fans, 
um, our administrators, our boosters. Uh, it means a lot to a lot of people, so I won't downplay that. And It's just recognition for um, the season that our guys are having. Um, but uh, if they continue to focus and play at a high, high level, like I think they will, there'll be more out there for them. We're talking about Wells, Utah State head coach. You know, Matt, when you lay it out like that, you've got a team full of junkies. You've got some gym rats. These guys are paying the price. They're doing their work. They're doing their prep. Having said all of that, do you have to make a point? Hey, you got to make sure you keep your eye on the prize. San Jose State yeah. might be one and eight, but that doesn't mean that they can't sneak up and bite us. Have you had that conversation with them? And how do you Absolutely. make sure there is no letdown? Yeah, absolutely. Number one, they're playing their best ball right now in the last few weeks, and Brent Brennan's done a really nice job continuing to keep them fighting. I think you do this, Jim. Um, we understand the goal since I've walked in here is to compete for a Mountain West championship the last week in November, and we're on that we're on that mission right now, and hopefully we're on a collision course with the Mountain West championship. But in saying that, that's our big picture focus: the small internal. Intensified focus is Saturday at 2 o'clock, and more importantly, today at practice on at 2.30 here um, in Logan. So it's it's day by day. It's it's the week, and our guys have done a tremendous job with that. And you know what? I credit the seniors, and I credit our captains. We've got probably uh, maybe overall sophomores, juniors, and, and, and um, seniors that is in our players' committee, our captains, um, continue to um, impress me. And this is a player-led program. It's not a player-run program but it's a player-led program, and I give the credit to those players. Utah State head football coach Matt Wells joins us. Matt, you mentioned Logan a couple times. What about the fact that you are the pride of Salisaw, Oklahoma? Oklahoma, I should say. For those who don't know, it's not the biggest town in Oklahoma. What was life like growing up for you there? And then how big was that town? Well, I always tell people it's 7,000 on a good day with all the family reunions in, in the summer. Right. Um, all I know is this, there's a lot of small towns out there, but when you can count the stoplights, uh, it's a small town. And I think, and unless they've changed it, it's seven and a blinking light. So it's a small town. I tell you what, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, playing sports growing up like I did, um, it's, um, you know, high school football coaches, uh, the influence they had on your life, um, it was tremendous. Um, I don't think my brothers and sisters, um, brother and sisters uh, would trade it for anything. Um, and I got a chance to come here to Logan, Utah, and you know what? I'm I'm back, and I'm uh, a pretty lucky guy. Hey, Matt, there's this great, great story that you mentioned high school coaches. High school coach Ron Etheridge said to your dad, hey, Doc, and your dad was a dentist, hey, Doc, look at this boy. He pointed to the fact that you were just maybe five, but you had drawn out a perfect eye formation with X's and O's. He then said, quote, there's not a mistake on it. He's going to be a coach, end quote. Is that true? And then when did you first get hooked on football? Yeah, that I think that story is true, Jim. Um, hooked on it from a from an early age. You know, growing up, your heroes uh, in a small town are the uh, the Black Diamond football players. That was my heroes growing up, and um, that is a true story. Um, but about it is, it may have been the last time I I drew the eye formation because I don't think <laughs> I've lined up that at Utah State one time. Right. We're in the spread, no huddle. We're only going to play with one back. Yeah, Matt, what's funny about that, that, that is funny in and of itself, but what's funny is it's not like this was your only option. In fact, you could flat-out ball as a player. You went to Utah State as a quarterback, but your teammates back in the day all thought that you might be a doctor because you were that sharp, you were that smart. What was it about coaching that made you want to pursue that? Jim, when I was done uh, playing here at Utah State, um, wasn't good enough to, to go on any further. I figured that out real quick. Um, I just I, I, I chose coaching, and here's what I did. I just kind of made a pact with myself, and I said, uh, I'm going to give it five years, and uh, if I can't get a full-time job, I'll start as a GA, and if I can't get a full-time job, um, you know, after five years, I'm done. I'll get into the workforce in another way, and, and I got a chance to go to the Naval Academy, and, and um, I was basically a, um, a GA. Actually, my first two years there for Kenny Niamatololo, who's now the head coach, um, NGA there for four years in my fifth year, um, got the receiver's job and got full-time, and then promptly uh, we all got fired at the end of that year. So it was welcome to coaching, um, but that's kind of how I, I got into it to start because I didn't want to get away from the game. I love the game. I love the competition. Um, and, I, you know, maybe like others, you just didn't quite know what to do uh, when you were done playing um, at 23 years old. And so I jumped right in, and fortunately the Lord has blessed me. Um, there's been – uh, times like now that have been tremendously better, 
than others. Um, you know, you've been through. It's just like I always say, coaching, and uh, a lot of guys out there can probably echo this, Jim. It's it's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Um, but and we we've, we've kind of all been through all of them. So shoot, I'm gonna enjoy this ride right now. No, I get that, and you want to make sure you enjoy the wins. I would imagine too, if it's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, Matt, the lows probably are more intense than the highs are high. Last thought, you mentioned Coach Ken, man, he is one of my favorite guys. I love the coach. What was he like to work alongside? Oh, he was awesome. Uh, he hadn't changed a bit. Um, he is uh, a, a people person. You know, he uh, he treated me uh, phenomenal as a young GA and, um, you know, gave me responsibility, um, but but kept a close watch on me. Um, and, you know, just, you know, to this day, he's been um, a mentor, but more than that, he's been a really good friend. All right, so episode nine of the RPO podcast, Hit the Digital Space. Right after the show yesterday, and as much as I would love to sit here and think that you all went and you found it for the takes and the insight and the stories that Trevor Price and I bring to it, I know that's not at all the case. Not for a lot of you. I know exactly why a number of you rubberneckers went and found that particular episode of the pod. You all want to find out whether or not Trevor the Cooler extended his losing streak to seven in a row. All right, so we've got a segment as part of that podcast. It's called Price's Picks. And Trevor Price picks the Monday game and the Thursday game against the spread every week. And he got out quickly. And he was getting you clones paid. And you were all really happy about that. And then suddenly, my man went ice cold. He missed on six consecutive games heading into last night's Dallas-Tennessee showdown. I mean, normally that's not a game that interests me a hell of a lot. They pay me to watch Monday Night Football, so I always do, start to finish. But I've got no vested interest. I've got no dog in that fight. I don't care who wins. Last night, I have to admit, I cared who won. Now, let me just say a couple of things about the streak. Let me say a couple of things about my man going over his last six. Number one, picking games is hard. I do it, but I pick my spots. I pick my spots to pick games because it's hard. You don't want to be wrong. Picking games against the spread is nearly impossible. Consistently. I'm not coming off that. When you're wrong, you get killed. When you're right, you get almost no credit whatsoever. It's tough to beat the house. Now, I'm not going to say it's impossible. Some guys can do it. Some of you can do it. People can do it. But it's really challenging. It's tough to do. It's tough to do. But maybe not as tough as going 0-6. for his last six. I mean, I get that the spread is set up so the players end up right in the middle. The house gets their taste of everything, so the house always wins, right? I mean, not always wins, but they get their taste whether or not you win or you lose. So what that means is you get a coin flip's chance pretty much every single time. If you were to flip a quarter six times, it would stand to reason you'd call heads or tails correctly at least one of those six times. And on top of that, we're not talking about an exercise in chance or a guy guessing. I'm talking about a football savant. I'm talking about a guy who played more than a decade in the NFL. I'm talking about a guy who's got a couple of Super Bowl rings, to his credit. A guy who knows the game. A guy who follows the game. It's not just a game of chance. It's not heads or tails. It's not a coin flip. Trevor Price knows what the hell he's talking about. So how in the hell does that guy miss six in a row? I mean, it's like some sort of weird, crazy sports oddity. Some sort of weird, crazy sporting anomaly. There are certain things, simply things, that defy explanation. Some things that you never expect to see. As I mentioned earlier, Randy Johnson exploding that bird on a pitched ball. You see that and you're like... Did that just happen? What the hell just happened? Did that guy just saw off a pigeon on the way to home plate? You know, like TP. Did he miss on six straight picks? Two of the oddest things I've ever seen. Randy Johnson sawing off that bird and Trevor Price missing six picks in a row. But when something that odd does happen... People are going to stop, and they're going to stare, and they're going to gawk, and they're going to try and make some sense of it. Or let me put it to you another way. Kind of like when that lotto jackpot balloons that crazy number. 
You can't even begin to fathom that number. You can't get your head wrapped around that number. There are so many times where you would never even think about picking up a lottery ticket, but then the public takes interest and it grabs hold. And then suddenly everybody, people who would never even consider buying a lotto ticket are in line for scratchers for over an hour. That's Trevor. That's Trevor in the streak. People are now stopping to gawk. And unlike the rest of you, I'm not enjoying it. I'm not enjoying my man's cold streak. I stand with TP. That's my podcast partner. I respect that he's putting himself out there every single week against the spread. I've got his back. He's got my back. But we both understand the notion of accountability. We both understand that we have to keep it real. We both understand scoreboard and we both understand money and getting paid. And as of late, my man is getting murdered at the window and on Twitter. And if I made you aware of his six-game losing streak, frankly, it is my duty to let you know whether or not the oddest streak of all extended or came to an end last night. As I said yesterday, the answer to the question of whether or not that streak continued lies at the end of this montage. Did my podcast partner in the RPO pod, Trevor Price, correctly pick the Titans-Cowboys game last night, or did he miss to make it seven in a row? Let's find out. Monday Night Football, 49ers in Green Bay, nine-point road underdogs. Who do you like here? Uh, that's easy. I mean, I think, I, think, I think a blind man can see that Green Bay in a thumper. Easily Green Bay covers. Ah! The 27-yard field goal try. Ball put down. Right-footed kick to our right is up, and it is good! Green Bay has won! The Packers have come from behind to win it. Thursday night football, Denver is going into the desert to play the Cardinals. Denver is the road favorite here. They're giving a point and a half. Where do you go with that one Thursday night? I think Arizona takes the win. Ah! But that's the ball game. This one's over. Denver wins it 45-10 to 10 over Arizona. The Giants plus four or the Falcons giving the four? I, 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 the Falcons plus four. I think the, I think the Falcons are going to cover. Ah! Falcons are winners. 23 to 20. The Dolphins are seven point road dogs against the Texans. What do you do with that? Seven points is too much for this game either way. So I'll take Miami in the points. Ah! The game is over. The Texans get the job done. They throttle the Dolphins 42 to 23. Patriots at the Bills. No surprise here, but this is going to be the biggest spread that you've picked against so far. Pats are giving 14 on the road. So who do you have? I am picking Buffalo to cover. Yes, I'm picking them to cover. Buffalo plus 14. Ah! This one is over. And the Patriots win it by a score of 25 to 6. Thursday night football. Raiders, (laughs) Niners. Raiders getting three on the road. Who you got, Trevor? Give me Oakland. And here's the reason why. At least they still have their starting quarterback. So therefore, I am going to take Oakland only because... Only because of that quarterback. Very disappointed, Coach Gruden. We'll go back to the Raider locker room. 34-3. San Francisco wins it. Titans getting four and a half on the road in Dallas. Do you like Tennessee in the points, or do you like Dallas to cover four and a half? Dallas is going to cover, and I have scientific evidence. Mariota stinks, and their offensive line cannot block pass rushers. And I think Dak Prescott... And Amari Cooper put on a show tonight. Dallas covered. Final score, Tennessee 28, Dallas 14, as the Titans come to Texas and get it done again. Uh-oh. Lucky seven. My man has missed his last seven picks. Trevor, I got so much respect for you. You're my dude. I really like you a lot. That's not easy to do, Trevor. Missing seven in a row, but it hurts me more than it hurts him. I hate that I had to do that. I hate that I had to break out that montage. And I know it hurts me more than it hurts Trevor because you guys are killing him on Twitter and he's rolling with it like a really good sport, like the kind of great guy that he is. I do. I hate to hear that. 
And I would love to explain how something like that could possibly happen, but I've got no idea. Other than to say, this picking games business is tough, dog. People go into slumps in every single sport. If anybody had any idea how that happened, it would never happen in the first place. But just as my man is ice cold right now, he can turn it around and get back to dominating like he did earlier in the season. And it all starts on Thursday night. Panthers at Steelers with a very interesting line. That's a tough one. Man, that is an awfully tough game to get right with. But if anybody can do it, it's my man Trevor Price, who's gotten wrong seven times in a row. If you want to hear that pick, he's already made that pick. The episode dropped yesterday. If you want to hear the pick, go listen to episode nine on the RPO. It's on the tape. And I've got the utmost confidence in my dude. I'm rolling with my man. I've got his six, even if he's got an 0 for 7 working right now. Let's get this, TP. I've got faith in you, TP. I've got your six. I've got your back. Trevor, listen. We're all pulling for you. All right, well, I'm the only one pulling for you. You and me against the world, bro. 0 for his last seven. This picking games is hard, dog. At Mock Moda tweets. Uh, correction, Rome. Trevor has only one Super Bowl ring. Now I have the other one. Sincerely, his bookie. Marcus McMarion is my guest. Marcus, good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. Good to have you. Listen, before I talk to you about Boise State, let me talk to you about that win over UNLV. You're coming off a win over UNLV that gives you an 8-1 and mark on the season. But given who you're playing this week, it might have been easy to overlook UNLV, but you guys did not do that. How pleased were you with the way you guys showed up, focused on the task at hand, and simply handled your business? Right. I mean, I was proud of our team. I mean, all week we kind of took care of business. Uh, just really just Sunday through Friday we kind of took care of business, whether that was with rehab, practicing every day, and uh, – I'm just real proud of our team that we didn't really overlook UNLV and uh, really treating every game this this year like if it's a championship game every week. All right, so you got a big one. You got Boise State in their place Friday night. You had a huge game against them last November. So what's your mindset when you start to think about them and this game? Um, I mean, they're a great team. I mean, they're well coached, they're disciplined. They do a lot of things uh, defensively that we got to prepare for all week. But uh, I know our coaches are going to work work their tails off to make sure we're we're ready and locked in and locked into the game plan, ready to go and uh, perform on, on Friday. Now, your journey to this spot, to me, is really, really interesting. You initially went to Oregon State, but after graduating in three years, you decided to transfer. So what was that decision like for you, and then how would you go about choosing where you wanted to play? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely it was a difficult decision. Uh, I kind of talked over with my family, uh, mentors, and people that were close to me at the time. But uh, just really, when I was kind of searching for schools and fishing for schools, uh just the direction Coach Teffer, I saw taking the program and just really it was more of what he preached off the field, uh, making sure guys were graduating and taking care of the little details in and out of their life, not just necessarily with football, but just making sure uh, education came first and making sure he was really training uh, uh, freshmen, make sure they're turning into men. So I think that was kind of one of the things that definitely drew me to Fresno State. So the other thing then, too, is going to Fresno State meant that you'd be back home playing in front of your family, your friends, your old coaches. Not many guys get to do that. What's that experience been like? Oh, I mean, I honestly can't even put it to words. It's just so special being able to just play in front of my old coaches, old high school coaches, uh, even dating back to maybe Pop Warner football or youth basketball. I mean, those coaches are still around in the area. So just the fact that they get to come to all the games and let alone all my family members that weren't able to make the trip all the way out to Oregon. I mean, it just makes it that much more special to be able to do what we're doing at the collegiate level and racking in wins and doing it in front of my, my hometown, really. I mean, it's got to be so cool to be back in the Valley. You played your high school ball at Dinuba High School. So you come back to the Valley and you get to represent the Valley. I know that's a big thing for you, but what were those first few weeks like in a new program and having to learn a new playbook? Right, yeah, that was... Uh... Definitely a stressful couple of weeks coming in uh, with about a week and a half, two weeks left of fall camp. I mean, you really I only got maybe two or three days of actual practice, and then we kind of toned it down and started game planning for Incarnate Word. So it was definitely a lot of late nights, uh, 
late nights, early mornings, getting up early before practice, staying after with the coaching staff, trying to do what I can to kind of get any kind of ad, uh, edge and play, catch up basically with the rest of the offense. You know, Marcus, you mentioned the coach, Jeff Tedford. Your father's got a big photo of you and Jeff Tedford on the sideline. And in the photo, the coach is talking to you and coaching you. Your father said of that photo, quote, that's my heart right there, both of them, end quote. That's what he thinks when he looks at that photo. What do you think when you look at it? Um, I mean, kind of around the same thing. I mean, I really, I know Tedford's really a, uh, Coach Tedford's really a coach, a uh, player first coach. I mean, if we need anything, he's going to, bend over backwards and do everything in his power uh, to make sure that we get it and that we're, we have everything we need as players. So, I mean, when you kind of just have, feel that vibe as players from the top down, I mean, it makes you really want to do anything for that coach and just really just run through a wall more than anything, whatever he says. So uh, I definitely know that's not just the way I feel, but definitely a, kind of a team team uh, morale, I guess you could say, around around our team. Fresno State, huge game against Boise State on Friday night. Their quarterback, Marcus McMarion, is my guest. Now, of course, if you're the starting quarterback at Fresno State, that means you're going to follow in the footsteps of another great quarterback in Derek Carr. I know the two of you have spent a little bit of time together and text regularly back and forth. What's the relationship mean to you, and then what have you taken away from your conversations with him? Yeah, I mean, it kind of just means the world to me, honestly. I mean, just the fact that uh, obviously he's a great player on the field, but even off the field, he's an even better person. But being able to just kind of pick his brain and ask him how he studies film or what he does in this situation, how he, he identifies defense, just being able to pick his brain as much as I can has definitely, I think, uh, been an advantage for me this year going into going into the season, being able to just uh, take kind of, a, I guess, the NFL approach to this season and making sure um, – always a step ahead of installs and just everything in that nature. Hey, Marks, do you get a sense that in order to fully, and I'm sure you had an amazing amount of pride in where you're from and representing the Valley, but did you almost have to leave and then come back to fully understand exactly what you had there? Perspective? Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, I've said this multiple times in interviews. I, I don't think you could have convinced high school Marcus to stay here, but uh, I just kind of was ready to, to leave and venture out and learn learn on my own and do what I had to do in college, but leaving and coming back definitely uh, have a deeper appreciation, 100% night and day, uh, just what exactly I had here in the Valley and how, how special this place is when it comes to football and just sports in general in the Valley. And there's really nothing like it. Like I said a little earlier, there's nothing like doing it in front of old high school coaches, family, teammates, and friends. So it's just it just makes it that much more special for me. You know, one more thing about the Valley. I can remember back in the day when I went to college, I went to UC Santa Barbara, and although we didn't have a football team, well, we had a club football team, back in the day, the way the Big West was set up and before that, the PCAA, Fresno State would roll into town for baseball and for basketball. Man, they were fierce, fierce on the field, fierce in the stands. There was so much pride in that community. So what's it mean to you to represent not only the Valley, but to do so on a national stage right now? Right. I mean, it just, it, like I said, it's just that much more special being able to do it now that we're starting to get national recognition. It's it's nice, but I mean, we do the same thing. We play for the Fresno community and the Valley up and down the Valley. I mean, just walking into our stadium. I mean, you hear the, hear the fans yelling, screaming at us. I mean, just the passion and uh, the support system we have out here is unreal and uh, definitely motivates us. And uh, the red wave is definitely a reason why I, I'd say we are where we are uh, this year. Listen, you're not going to make a big deal out of it, but the fact of the matter is you're like the face of the program, and I mean that literally. One of your friends texted you there was a big old billboard with your face on it. When you drove to the intersection of Blackstone and Shaw Avenues and you saw that for yourself for the first time, what did you think? Right, I mean, it's kind of, it's honestly surreal. I mean, you kind of dream and you joke about stuff like that, like, oh, I want to be on a billboard one day, yada, 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 and then... When you're finally up there, you kind of walk by, drive by it, or you park on the side and you look, and you're like, "Wow, that's actually me." It's kind of kind of weird to see, but uh, definitely uh, every time I saw it, I was like, "Man, you're on a billboard. You need to go work out more. What did you do to get better today?" So I kind of used it as a source of motivation for me. Every time I saw it, it's like if uh, the coaching staff and the media has that much faith to throw your face up on a billboard, then you should. Uh, be going 110 percent really in everything you're doing yeah dude you gotta justify you gotta earn that billboard every single day you gotta win that billboard <laughs> exactly. every single day i get it fresno state's eight and one they're five and zero in conference play and they've got a huge one friday night at boise state fresno state is up to number 16 their quarterback marcus mcmarion my guest marcus great to have you on good luck this weekend really nice to talk to you yeah thank you i appreciate it go dogs
Let's go to the phones. We go to Connecticut. Lou in Connecticut. It's good to have you on the show, Lou. How are you? Romy, good to hear your voice. How you doing, my good, friend? Good, good, bud. How about you? What's going good, on? Good, Romy, good. You know, I got to tell you something. Being a Giants fan reminds me of watching the movie The Bronx Tale with wasted talent. Romy, there's no doubt in my mind and many Giants fans' mind that Odell Beckham Jr. is the most frustrated wide receiver in the NFL today. When Eli Manning can't get him the ball week after week after week, you can't blame this guy for being frustrated, Romy. Other than Saquon Barkley, that team is toast. Please help us. When you come to New York, say to Eli, can you please somehow, we beg you, get Odell Beckham Jr. the ball. He needs it badly. Help us, Romy. Help us. My man, Lou. Rack him. I like it. Good job, Lou. Good night, 